Today we're looking at Acts chapter 16, so if you'll turn in your Bibles, if you don't have one, there's one in the pew in front of you, underneath the seat there. Acts chapter 16, we're going to start in in verse 11. This is the story of Paul. It's a great adventure of his second missionary journey, the beginning of his second missionary journey. And the first city that he comes into contact with is the church at Philippi, in the great city of Philippi. He wrote a book, a letter to the Philippians. I wonder, uh, just by way of background here a little bit before we read, I wonder what comes to mind when you think of the book of Philippians. Maybe you think of the second chapter, the glorious um, incarnation of Christ and exaltation of Christ, rich Christology there. And maybe you think of this overriding theme of joy or rejoicing or Maybe you think that uh, Paul has a special affection for the Philippian church, and all those things are true, but they all find their source in one place, really just one word, and that word is partnership, partnership in the gospel that Paul had with the people at Philippi, and this partnership exploded into the first church in Europe arguably the most effective church Paul had ever planted, certainly the most generous. This great church and this great book of Philippians recount a deep, warm, affectionate, warm friendship between Paul and these Christians. I think about our church. The question I think about is, don't you want that too? Don't you want to share that? You know, you come into this church on Sunday morning and don't you want to feel that way about the people in this room? Unified together, warm, affectionate, on the same page, striving side by side for the same goal. I long for that. I want that to be a reality here. In many ways, it is. Well, Acts chapter 16 explains how this all happened. It's the backstory to this great church in Philippi. And one thing I want to point out that's abundantly obvious in these verses we'll read is that Paul creates these great partnerships, but he never once sees it coming. These are partners in disguise. So let's stand together for the reading of God's word. Acts chapter 16, verse 11. It says, So setting sail from Troas, we made a direct voyage to Samothrace, and the following day to Neapolis. And from there to Philippi, which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer. And we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and after she was baptized in her household as well, she urged us, saying, if you have judged me to be a faithful follower of the Lord, come to my house and stay, and she prevailed or persuaded us. Verse 16, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune-telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept on doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, 
turned and said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. But when her owners saw that their hope of gain was gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace before the rulers. We're going to skip down to verse 25. Paul and Silas eventually get arrested and thrown into prison. Verse 25, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake, so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened, and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw that the prison doors were open, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembled. With fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas. You can have a seat. Take a few moments to reflect on God's word. I think the best way that we can learn what we need to learn from this passage this morning is really to re-experience this adventure, kind of get the details of the story in our minds, and then observe a few things and apply them. Um, This is a a sermon that is a standalone sermon. We're taking a break, obviously, from Paul's series in Samuel, but, uh, but it really relates, I think, as we look out over the summer, we have many of us free time if you're under the age of um, 25, I guess. You have lots of free time when the school gets out. Um, But a lot of us go on vacation. We have a a, a new vibe, a new schedule. So uh, to set our minds in the right direction is important here at the beginning of summer. So I thought this passage would be helpful to us. So let's re-experience what Paul experienced. We have to back up just a little bit to the beginning of Acts 16, a passage, part of the passage I didn't actually read But Paul, as you can imagine, faces the beginning of his second missionary journey. In all, Paul went on three missionary journeys. Uh, The first one was relatively small and mostly towards Jews and a few Gentiles. He planted a few churches, but it wasn't very long before he came back home. And then he geared up for his second missionary journey. Many theologians say the second one is the great adventure because new boundaries were crossed, new cultures were um, encountered. People that had never heard of the name of Jesus or God were saved. And Paul went to the big cities, huge, like Athens. I mean, this is really amazing. His second missionary journey was a great adventure. And it all started right here in Acts 16, first city, Philippi, first convert, Lydia. His third missionary journey, he basically cut and paste his second missionary journey, revisiting all the churches that he had previously planted and seeing all the fruit that they had in those churches, encouraging them, and of course, planting a few new ones along the way. But here is the beginning of the great adventure. You should see that as we begin Now, Peter and Paul were really focused on Jerusalem, Samaria, and Judea. As Acts 1.8 says, the first two waves of this great movement of the gospel being moved out into all the nations, obeying the Great Commission. So now Peter and John, you know, Jerusalem and others, and Jerusalem, Judea. But then Paul has this unique calling where he turns this way, and he looks at the entire rest of the world, the ends of the earth, and the job is Huge, immense, overwhelming. It's almost like the guy that I saw in the news briefing just recently standing in the Midwest after a tornado, his back to a 30-foot 
pile of rubble that used to be his house, standing in a ditch that used to be his garden, and he was asked, what are you going to do next? And he said, I, I have no idea. And, and I, I reflected on the punch list that I have in my house and all the things that I have to fix around my house. I say fix. I mean call others to come fix in my house. And this guy was looking around the rubble thinking, I don't even know where to begin. I mean, there's so much to do. And that's how Paul felt looking out at the ends of the world. He was the first one to go out there, the very first one. And he was on his own and he was thinking, I don't know where to begin. And so like a great Christian in desperation, he turned his eyes to God and said, okay, God, I need clarity. And at first the Holy Spirit did not provide clarity. He went to the left to this way, tried to go into Asia. It was, it was stopped. He went over here, tried to go in this part. It was stopped. And then he finally just said, God, what do you want me to do? Where do you want me to go? Who do you want me to speak to? And I'm picking up now in uh, Acts 16, verse 9. And it says, during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him. Come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. Now, in Paul's mind, he's got two things going on. He has the first missionary journey, and the pattern there was to go visit the synagogue where all the Jewish men were and reason with them that Jesus is the Messiah. And then when you get a few that believe, you go together to the Gentiles and you present the gospel to them. That was Paul's pattern, and that was in his mind. The second thing in his mind is he was looking for a Macedonian man, the one that appeared to him in his dream, in a clear vision. But what did Paul find? This is very much like your life. It's very much like my life. We have an idea of what the next step for Christ's community is. We have an idea of the next few years or the next step for our ministry or the next step for our lives. But God sets us up, gives us a vision, gives us a pattern, and then he shows us things that are super unexpected. And you'll see that as Paul encounters. First of all, in verse 13, he meets a woman. On the Sabbath, we went outside the city gate to the river where we expected to find a place of prayer. He knew there wasn't a synagogue in the great city of Philippi, the leading city in all of Macedonia. And you you know, you only need 10 people. No, 10 Jewish men to establish a synagogue. There wasn't 10 Jewish men in the whole city. And so instead of a synagogue, he goes by the river where it's rumored there's people that pray to God there. And what does he find? He finds a group of women praying. Now, nothing against the gender of female, But Paul was expecting something different. So he goes there and he encounters this woman named Lydia. God opens her heart. She responds to the gospel. He baptizes her and listen to the words, her whole household is baptized. Not her husband's whole household. So Paul is kind of upside down here. It's a little backwards to him. We're not sure if she's a widow or if she's just the head of her household. We're not sure, but but her whole household. And she says to, to Paul, Now that I'm a Christian, why don't you guys come stay with us? Now, what is Paul's response to that? We don't actually see it recorded specifically here, 
But we do know the words of Lydia in verse 15. She says, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. In other words, Paul had been resisting her. Yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's a good idea. I'm not sure about that. That might not be the best next move for my mission here in the city of Philippi. Maybe he thought I'm looking for a man of Macedonia. He, he just kind of resisted her. And, and look at the next few words in verse 15. And she, in the NIV, prevailed upon us. ESV says she persuaded us. So there's some persuasion that Paul needs in order to go locate his church in this woman's house. So unexpected, a woman did not see that coming, but he does go to Lydia's house and feels possibly stuck. His mission is kind of stuck there. Doesn't know what else to do. There's no synagogue. What do, I, what do I just go to the marketplace? So he just goes back to the river. That's what he does. He just goes back to the river where the women were, and he just starts doing it all over again to see who else is there. Open-handed, God, where do I go next? And then in that rhythm of going back to the river, he meets a slave girl. The slave girl is the next big step in, in Paul's mission, in God's plan for Paul's mission. But does Paul see it? Certainly not. The slave girl was calling out for many days. And many days, Paul ignored her. But finally, Paul looked at this slave girl. And you know what it says, right? In verse 17 and 18, Paul looks at this poor slave girl and feels bad for her and thinks, I want to help this slave girl be free of this spirit, be free of her earthly masters. I want this slave girl to be loved and cared for. And so he heals her by sending the spirit out, right? Is that what happened? That is not what happened. Paul didn't even see the slave girl as anything worthy of a goal or something to care for. Look, look what happens. Verse 18, she kept this up for many days and finally Paul became so annoyed that he turned around and said to the spirit, come out. He's annoyed. You know, I, I kind of thought about that word annoyed. It, it dawned on me that uh, the word annoyed is something or someone that stands between me and my goal and frustrates my efforts, keeps me from success. It's annoying. It's an interruption. It's something that I need to get rid of. And that's exactly how Paul saw this slave girl. But God saw the slave girl as an opportunity. And so Paul thought, okay, I'm just going to annoyingly, I'm just going to get rid of this annoying thing. It was an obstacle. Now, everything begins to happen fairly quickly. And I'm sure at some point Paul's like, this is it. This is it. This is the moment I've been waiting for. Now I'm going to have a big stage. He gets arrested. He gets dragged before the leaders of the, of the city of Philippi. There's a lot of people surrounding him, and he's thinking, now I get to make a defense for the gospel, and I get to preach, just like I did in my first missionary journey, just like Peter did at the day of Pentecost. I get to preach and, and maybe see lots of converts. But what happens is Paul gets falsely accused. The accusation that you read about in Acts 16 is that Paul and Silas were trying to get members of the city of Philippi to obey Jewish laws. That's not true. That's not what Paul was doing at all. And, and, and he was making an uproar in the city because of that. That's not what Paul was doing. The only reason these guys put him on trial was because 
They lost this slave girl who gave them a lot of money. That's it, the only reason. But they made up this whole false accusation. Paul ends up being severely flogged. The word severely is in there. Bleeding, right? Hungry, tired, thirsty, thrown into the prison. Now, not just thrown into the prison. His stage goes from huge to a prison to an inner cell, even tinier of a stage. The inner cell of a stage, tiny. And, and he gets a guard associated or assigned to him to watch over him. And he gets his feet and his hands bonded in, in shackles and chains. This is not what Paul expected. I'm sure Paul felt stuck here. Well, what is Paul going to do now? <laughs> no chance of preaching the gospel. So he moves on and he prays. That's all he's going to do, pray. God leads him to the next step. Okay, well, let's sing. It's midnight. Nobody's even up, right? And then verse 25 happens. Look down. It says, about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to him. You never know, do you? <laughs> you never know when someone's watching you, listening to you. Paul was being listened to. Normal songs of praise, something as familiar perhaps as in Christ alone is to us, or Amazing Grace, or maybe it's chapter two where Christ emptied himself and became a human servant and died, and I'm not sure what the song is, but it was a hymn that everybody knew in the church, and so he sang it. And then God sent a miracle, again, unexpected to Paul, an earthquake, the doors are open, shackles fall off. And Paul is free. And watch what Paul does next. Does he run out looking for the Macedonian man? He's looking to the next city. This city was a failure with this slave girl and woman, Lydia. I'm going on. I'm moving on. No, he stays right there in prison because he realizes finally he's not stuck. He's sent. And then verse 29, the jailer calls for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before Paul and Silas. He then brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Do you see it? The Macedonian man right there. Finally, he sees the Macedonian man. It's been a long while, lots of unexpected things. All of these partners up to this point are completely in disguise. He has no idea that what God is up to. Now, at the end of Acts 16, beyond what we read this morning, you'll see an even more amazing end. It's an adventurous story for sure. Paul gets uh, let out of prison because the magistrates and the leaders say it's time for you to go. But Paul says no. Paul says, I'm a Roman citizen, and I was condemned to prison without a trial. And I want the leaders to come here and escort me and Silas out of the city. And so they do. They come, and they're apologetic. And now Paul has the entire town, the whole city of Philippi, cheering for him, escorting him out, apologizing to him. And the church gains great strength. And in verse 40, look down at verse 40. It says, after Paul and Silas came out of the prison, they went to Lydia's house, where they met with the brothers and sisters and encouraged them. Paul finally understood these people were his partners in the gospel. Now, Paul, at this point, is so brand new, he doesn't know what's going to happen. But what takes place in the church of Philippi is, is absolutely amazing. There's a few things 
we should point out so we can see. First, this church in Philippi gave generously to Paul, even though they were impoverished. When Paul was in prison later in Rome, many years later, out of their poverty, this church gave generously to Paul. And they longed for Paul, and they prayed for Paul. And in, during his third missionary journey, he revisits all the ch- plant church churches that were planted, and he went to Philippi, and he saw a healthy and a, and a great growing church reaching out to their neighbors and, and really just taking off. And time and time again, he points to this church as an example of what other churches should sort of be like. Think, think about what Paul said to the Galatians when he wrote his letter to the Galatians. Very soon in that book, he gets to the point, he says, You foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you? He's yelling at them. You guys have gotten the gospel completely wrong now, and you've fallen off the path. You gotta gotta get back on. First Corinthians, it's chapter after chapter after chapter of really ridiculous things going on in that church. And Paul is frustrated beyond measure to, to help them, to discipline them. And Paul has a tone in his voice when he writes 1 Corinthians. But if you read Philippians, he doesn't have much to say in that way. He thanks them. He thanks them for all of their gifts. And so often, Paul points to this warm affection, this connection that he has with the Philippian church. It really is amazing that this church singles themselves out in Paul's heart and becomes the greatest partner, maybe the greatest friends Paul ever had. Well, I want to kind of move into now some observations and maybe some applications before we end today. This is a great lesson for us all, I think. The first thing I might say is, uh, is that you and Paul, all of us as Christians, we're not stuck where we're placed. We're sent there. Paul felt that way. You feel that way. A lot of things in our life we don't choose. I mean, we try to organize our lives around schedules and calendars and, and, and organize our time. But in the end, how much of our life are we really in charge of or have control over? You don't choose many of the people that are around you. You don't choose a lot of the things in your job. You don't choose your family, save your spouse. And when you choose your spouse, really, when you're 25 or 24 or however old you are when you get married, you're not that wise, right? So you choose a spouse and there's this whole list of things your spouse, you know, you don't know at that age. So how much are you really in control in your life? And you can oftentimes feel stuck. The housewife stuck at home with their kids, these little infants that need them 24 hours a day, seven days a week, stuck in a dead end job that I just can't see the point of. Why am I doing this? It doesn't mean anything. Stuck in a family that can't get out of the ruts that they've found themselves in. And so many other things. I can talk about students stuck in school, stuck in the class they'll never use. A lot of those. So the question is, are you stuck? The answer Paul gives us is no, you're sent. Paul says in Philippians 1 verse 6, I am confident of this. Because of my experience in Acts 16 with this church in Philippi, I am confident that he, God, who began a good work in you, Philippians, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ. So it was God that came to Philippi before me. It was God that set up the whole mission, the whole plan 
right? God did all of that. I was never stuck. I was just being sent to different places. I once uh, thought about this, driving by some of the high schools in town, and whether it's Coastal or Hogger, New Hanover, Ashley, it doesn't matter, whatever high school it is, how can I, because I'm, you know, I work with the kids here at church, how can I go onto those campuses, 48-year-old man, walk around the cafeteria and just sit down with a random student, say, hey, uh, Johnny, right, Johnny, okay, I've met you now, um, do you know Jesus? Wouldn't that be weird if I did that? How long would it take for a 48-year-old man to not look creepy in that place, right? To not be a, a weird, like, out-of-bounds kind of person. I'm not a teacher, I'm not an administrator, I'm just here as a pastor, I guess. People kind of look at you a little funny. But Matthew Holdsworth, he's sent to high school. My daughter Hope goes to Hoggard. She is sent to Hoggard. No one looks at her and says, what are you doing here? She's sent there. She's not stuck there. You guys aren't stuck in these places. And that's what Paul, he, he says, hey, God is sending you to these places. You're there for a reason. Uh, it's interesting that when you say you're sent, immediately comes to your mind purpose. Like in the movie Saving Private Ryan, uh, if you've seen that show before, a group of soldiers were sent to the front lines, but these soldiers were different. Uh, they were supposed to bring home Private Ryan, who was the sole surviving of all of his brothers. All his brothers are dead. He's the only one left. And they wanted to bring him home. So when the soldiers arrived on the front lines and they found Private Ryan, they said, we've been sent by the general. And the response is, sent, sent for what? In other words, what's your purpose? And they said, we'll bring him Private Ryan home. And they did. God has sent you to the place you are. Do you know? Do you know what the purpose is? If you don't have clarity on the purpose that God has for you in the place that he's sent you, you can't have partners. You can't have joy. You can't have a sense of accomplishment. You're not even on an adventure. You have no idea what you're doing. So it's very important for you to think, okay, what am I doing here? What is my purpose? Now, I've, I've told this a lot in the, the youth ministry, but I want to say it again. So if you're a teenager that's grown up in the church, you've heard me say this, but, but I love this analogy it's, or this idea. Think about all the things that you do as a Christian and then think of what you're going to do as a Christian in heaven. So right now you read the Bible, you pray, you sing songs, you encourage and meet together with other Christians, but you do all of those things imperfectly. In heaven, we don't need a book we can hear God's voice. We don't need to pray. We can talk to God directly. Our imperfect unity right now is perfected in heaven. Everything we do on earth as a Christian is perfected in heaven except one thing, and that's the Great Commission. We will no longer evangelize. We will no longer plant churches. We will no longer have missions. It's the one thing that drops off completely. And so in this age, that's why you're sent, to fulfill the great commission. Okay, so moving on. Next thing we can learn. Greatest friendship you'll ever have comes from partnership. The world knows this. Sports teams get together, and they say, when we're winning, we don't have any distractions. When our team is winning, we're, we're in sync together, and it's beautiful, and it's the best friendship I've ever experienced. 
Those in the military know this is true. You've got your brothers and you fight alongside each other and you have each other's back. Greatest friendships come from partnership and the greatest partnership is in the gospel. Look at Paul's feelings for the Philippian church. In Philippians chapter one, verse two, listen to these words. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. Seems like he's kind of going overboard. All, all, always. Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day, Lydia, until now. First day until now. It is right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart. Whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. And God can testify how I long for all of you. It's just this great connection he has. Later in chapter four of that book, he says, therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, you are my joy, you are my crown. Stand firm in the Lord in this way, dear friends. And the Philippian church respond. They give him money, as I mentioned earlier, and sacrificially so. So the best friendship you'll have is in gospel partnership. If you go upstairs into the youth theater in that area, you see a lot of these pictures that we have, posters of fun things that we've done together. And those who haven't gone on those trips think that it's all about waterfalls and water slides and roller coasters, right? They think that. But those of you who would walk upstairs who've been on those trips, you know better. You can tell stories, not just of the fun things we do on rivers, but you know the ministry, the ministry adventures that we've been on. Someone who faces their idol, someone who finds a deep connection with someone else, someone who finds the Lord and says it in front of everybody. And that's just one little picture that I'm involved in. This happens all over the church. Men and women coming together to partner together for the gospel. This is the best, the best friendship you'll ever experience on earth. And finally, I'll just mention this observation and application that God is busier than you think. God is busier than you think. Look at all that God was doing in Acts 16. He was saving Lydia and her whole household. He was saving a slave girl and freeing her. He was saving a jailer and his whole household. And then he made the Philippian church this great, awesome witness in in Europe. And it was the first church in Europe that really spread throughout all of Greece and other places. God was busy. But what Paul realized is that God is as busy with them as God is working on me. He's busy working on me, says Paul. He notices things. He, he's taught things by God. He, he sees things he's never seen before. If you read the epistles, a lot of them point back to Acts 16 and many of his adventures on his missionary journeys. The things that he's writing about in his epistles are things that he's learned and seen in this journey he's going on, in this ministry he's been a part of, in these partnerships that have been formed. And so Paul looks at the Philippian church. At first he had such low expectation and then the church exploded and became this great church. Philippians 4.15 says, Moreover, as you Philippians know, in the early days of your acquaintance with the gospel, when I set out from Macedonia, not one church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving, except you guys. 
He had this great perspective afterwards. And it was all a shock. And Paul learned this, that when he went to this superstar church, and it started just with a foreign woman, a slave girl, and a Greek jailer. A foreign woman, a slave girl, and a Greek jailer. Two years later, he wrote these words to the church at Galatia. In Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. You see what Paul learned? Y'all see that? He would never have written those words in Galatians had he not experienced Acts 16 firsthand. So when you face your adventure, and you look out at your future, what God is sending you to certain places and what that purpose might be, I want you to be encouraged. In the places that you're sent, just let them know you're a Christian and that you go to church and name the church. I go to Christ community. Just, just knowing that. Open your home to them. Be hospitable. Have people over for dinner then, and just get to know them. Open up your lives. I used to do this when I was a teacher. I'd get so tired of the other teachers who weren't Christians just huh, overwhelming me with worldliness. And I was just like, how do I keep my, myself pure? And I would oftentimes run away from conversations with them or go home as early as I possibly could to avoid all of that. Never would go out with them after work or anything like that. And I thought back and I thought, how many missed opportunities did I have with them, Right? Don't, don't do that. Don't duck. Don't run away from those opportunities. Shelly and I moved into a new neighborhood and we committed, okay, we're gonna just try to do whatever we can for our neighbors. We're gonna try to just open up our home and open up our lives and, and be available. The, the word here, and many theologians say, is faithful presence. Just be there. Faithfully be there. And just wait, watch for God. One of the biggest things you can do is pray in the morning for God to send you something specific that day, an opportunity that you can have. And, and you don't know. It's a partner in disguise for sure. You'll never see it coming. But just pray and say, God, give me eyes to see. And then along your day, something will pop. It always happens. And finally, I would encourage you to be able to celebrate that with someone else. Don't just be the Lone Ranger Celebrate it with a group of Christians, even here at the church, a small group, some group that you have that can celebrate your wins and the adventure that you're on. That's my prayer and that's my hope for you. Let's pray together. God, as we consider Paul's experience and adventure in Acts 16, I pray that you would equip our church with the vision, with the motivation for the inspiration to reach out in our community and in our world for your sake. Pray that you'd give us eyes to see the partners that develop, even if they are in disguise. Patience to get through the annoying situations. Courage and strength and encouragement to face the prison and the pain and, uh, of suffering through these things so that we can one day point back to it with joy. Like Paul says in Philippians, I rejoice in the Lord always. That's our hope, God. That's our prayer. We pray for that in Christ's name. Amen.